0: listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. Well, many Bible scholars make an interesting distinction between the concreteness of the Hebrew language and its related theology compared to maybe the abstractness of the Greek language and the theology that comes out of the Greek language. I think there's some limits to this. I think guys take this too far, but, but there is something to it, right? If you think about it, like think about uh, the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. And if you know those two languages, the Hebrew language is certainly a, a simpler language than the Greek language. But but if you compare, say, like a like a, a narrative in the Old Testament versus maybe something like Paul's epistles in the New Testament, we, we see even that sometimes uh, there, there seems to be like maybe an, an action focus in the Old Testament, where in the New Testament, there's times where you compare it and, and, there's maybe this, and there's maybe an abstractness to some of the concepts in the New Testament. Again, I think there's some limits uh, to some of those observations, but the point is is that as Christians, we can run the danger of being so speculative, so abstract in our spirituality that it remains in our heads and it never moves to our hands. Listen, we need to put some things together in our minds and our understanding of the gospel and how we're to live that out. But for some of us, it's safer and maybe easier for it to just stay in our heads and for it not to then spill out in how we live our lives. For example... When, when I was a young person, I had grown up in a church that I think was a very faithful church, had good doctrine, and, and I embraced that doctrine. In particular, I really embraced the truth that once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. And I mean, I was really firm on that doctrine. I'm still really firm on that doctrine. I put that together in my head, and that was something, you know, maybe the, the abs- this abstract doctrine I held strongly to. However, it stayed in my head, and even in my head, I, I used it to justify all sorts of sins. It kind of went like this, and maybe you've been there. You know what? I can do this, and, and God will forgive me. Did you ever do that? L- listen, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why we sin, why we struggle with unfaithfulness, but one of them can be that, listen, we, our spirituality is just up here, and then we twist our understandings of things in such a way that it gives license to sin. We, we can say we believe that we can't lose our salvation, but then we can use it as an excuse to sin. The author of Hebrews today is going to see that type of spirituality as a sluggish spirituality. He's going to say, listen, there's a natural tendency towards that sort of sluggish spirituality, Uh, Maybe taking a doctrinal truth and then twisting it around in such a way to where you live differently than that doctrinal truth. And he's going to use a great word, sluggish. He's going to say that there's a laziness about that. And so he's going to push into something uh, like the the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. This idea that that you can't lose your salvation. And he's going to push into the implications of that. And the implications of that is not that you now have the freedom to do whatever you want. It's been a number, not only weeks, but even months since we've been in the book of Hebrews. And so if you haven't been with us through this study, let me sum up the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is all about Jesus is better. Jesus is better than everything. He's better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the priest. He's better than all of it. And the point of the fact that Jesus is better is this. They were struggling with people falling away. The, the, the original audience who received this church were dealing with the problem of people falling away from the faith. Listen, can people fall away from the faith today? Yes, they can. This is an ancient problem. People have always been falling away from the faith. The solution to falling away from the faith is seeing that Jesus is better. And listen, that's the gospel, right? Like, Jesus is better than everything, every temptation that that draws us away. And and listen, that can be money, that can be ambition, that can be fleshly temptations, but that can be other religions, other ideologies, other philosophies. All of those things can call call us to fall away. And the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us, listen, Jesus is better than all of those things. The fact that he got up on the cross, bore our sins, and as a result of that, if we would believe in him, that he would make us, uh, he would move us from this category of guilty enemies to adopted children of God, where we would be beloved and he would always be with us and he would always be for us. That's the gospel. That simple and straightforward message, that simple yet complex and profound and beautiful message, that's the good news and that's better than anything that the world has to offer. Everything uh, just is not uh, uh, maintained that standard of goodness we we can make good things like our our family our our religion we can make things like politics our religion we can make things like uh, um, uh, um, our jobs and all these other things our religion but they won't bear the weight of it that they won't end up being ultimately good news those things they they might taste like good news at the beginning but in the end they're not going to be good news like Jesus's good news Today, is, we're looking at Hebrews 6, verses 9 to 12, and we're going to see that falling away is not the future of faithful saints. And then we're going to see that we're going to be challenged to follow the example of our faithful forefathers. So let me look at, let me read verses 9 and 10. And again, we're going to see that falling away is not the future of faithful saints. In verse 9, he says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his, uh, for his name and serving the saints, as you still do. The first part of Hebrews 6 is pretty tricky. And it's one of the, the most difficult passages in all the Bible to interpret. And if you look at verses, uh, verses 1 to 3 in chapter 6, we see that not all people who profess, uh, who profess Christ go on to maturity, is what he says. Not everyone who gets baptized, if you will, goes on to maturity. And so there's a warning here. There's a warning here that, that you might not go on to maturity. He's calling you to maturity, and he's warning you to go on to maturity. Now, listen, that's a, that's a perfect message for a baptism Sunday, because as we talked about before the service uh, with those getting baptized, there's nothing magical about that water. There's nothing about, uh, you know, that that, what, what they do today that like guarantees that they're going to be faithful all the days of their life, okay? There's nothing about that that promises that they're going to go on to maturity. But what Hebrews 6, 1 to 3 is, ta- is warning us about is if we don't go on to maturity, then we're not going to experience what he calls rest, Now, this is really the tricky part of Hebrews 6, because he could be talking about maybe two types of people, two categories of people. The first category of people are are those who have not truly been converted. And if that's what he's talking about, then when he talks about rest, he's talking about, listen, if you haven't displayed maturity, you're not going on to maturity, that's a sign that you haven't really been converted, so you're not going to enter into the rest, meaning you're not going to heaven. That's a pretty serious warning, isn't it? But, but it, it could read where, okay, listen, maybe you are converted, but you lack maturity in your faith. And so you're not going to go on to spiritual uh, rest or spiritual life, meaning that you're not going to experience the joy of your salvation. Now, listen, both of those things can be true, right? Like someone can profess faith in Christ and then display no maturity, display no growth, display no good works, display no love of the saints, and, and the Bible looks at that person and says, I don't know that you're saved. And, that, and that's a, actually a healthy thing. That's a hard thing to do, but that's a healthy thing to do. If your life has no fruit of the salvation, uh, of your salvation, then the Bible questions if you're saved. But also you can have people over here that listen, maybe they were genuinely converted. And maybe they're in a season of walking away from the faith. Maybe they're in a season of pursuing their own fleshly desires. And the Bible warns them as well that path does not lead to rest, that path does not lead to joy. Again, Hebrews 6, 1 to 8, I think is a tough passage. But here in verse 9, he kind of shifts gears. He, he, he says again in verse 9 that though we speak in this way, meaning he's talking about, man, the, the, the we're heavy and hard and pushing into something tough in these previous verses. Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, listen, those uh, might be questions for some people. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you need to mature. But the original audience who read this, he says, listen, I'm not talking about you. That's other people. You guys, I I believe and feel better things. So, he shifted from a warning to an encouragement, okay? And this word beloved is wonderful here. Because listen, th- this is written from a pastor's heart, okay? And listen, as a pastor, there's times where you kind of have to to do that loving but hard thing where you ask people the hard questions, you kind of push them on some stuff. And let me tell you, as a pastor, it's super draining. And it's sacrificial love. And you do it, but it's hard, okay? But then he kind of betrays his pastor's heart here because notice that he says that he feels, he feels sure of better things about them. Listen, he says, listen, we've got to have those hard conversations. But when I talk about you, listen, I love you. I I know you. And as your pastor, I want to encourage you. This is not talking about you. That's not what I believe is your path. But why is he so confident? Verse 10, he says, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you do. There's really two things here. He can confidently encourage them based upon the evidence of God's work in their life. Like he looks at them and he sees God's salvation in in their life. Listen, we all know that when we're saved, ultimately it's a work of God, right? When we're saved, it's not us being so good that we earn our spot in heaven. It's really as a result of God's good work and God's grace. Our job is to believe it, I mean, that, that's like just sitting there and just taking a present that someone gives you, okay? Yeah, I mean, I guess you sit there and you, and you say, thank you, ma'am, all. But like, it, it, it's really, you're just accepting God's grace. You're, you're just believing in it and trusting in it. Listen, good works don't earn your salvation, but they are evidence of your salvation. We see the fruits of righteousness manifested in the lives of those who've been converted. One of the best passages for this is Ephesians 2. Let me read 8, 9, and 10 to you. For by grace... You've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. That, that, that saving, that faith, this is not your own doing. It, it, it's the result of grace. It's this gift of God, he says, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So listen, he feels that they have better things. And the reason is, is because of God's gracious salvation in their life but also he sees something else there too. He, he is confident because of their faithfulness. Again, their faithfulness is not a good work earning salvation, but, it, but it's a fruit of the love that God has shown them. But at the end of the day, God has created us for good works. And what he's saying here is, I've seen these good works in you. I've seen these things that you've done. It hasn't just remained in your head. It's moved to your heart, and then it's overflowed into your hands. I, I've seen the love that you have for the other the other saints. Their faithfulness gives him confidence. And now, listen. On every Christian throughout all of history, you catch them at the wrong moment. You're going to question their salvation. Okay. You catch them at the wrong moment with their kids acting up. You catch them at the wrong moment when, you know, something's taking a little too long in the drive through uh, You catch them at the wrong moment on something, you're going to question their salvation. But what he's talking about is thematically over your life, uh, is the theme of your life faithfulness or unfaithfulness? He's, he's saying that, listen, the theme of your lives is faithfulness, and I've seen the fruit of it. That's why I'm confident in it. Romans 6.4 says this we were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ has, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, he sees the faithfulness of this newness of life in their life. He sees that they've been united with Christ, died with him, raised to walk in newness of life, and he sees this newness of life in them. Therefore, we see that falling away is not the future for faithful saints. Those who profess faith in Christ and then continue to believe, there's better things for them than falling away. Falling away is not a good thing. It's not a blessed thing. It's not a happy thing. It's not a hopeful thing. And he sees better things for them. So when someone is truly united with Christ, we can be sure of better things. We we can be sure that they will be faithful and persevere to the end. But what's the charge here? Okay, if that's the case, if that's the truth, someone who's been truly converted remains faithful to the ends, what's the charge? What are the implications of that? Well, I think the implications are that we need to follow the earnest example of our forefathers. Look at verse 11 with me, verse 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So God's sovereign electing grace is not meant to lead to a sluggish spirituality. It's meant to lead to, uh, it's not to be meant by uh, like a a selfish sinfulness. It's not to lead to like a lazy apathy. That's not the purpose of God's grace. God's grace is meant to spur us on to diligence. It's meant to spur us on to an earnest spiritual life. This is, uh, this is what we have seen in the lives of our faithful forefathers, right? Like those who have gone before us, we've seen them uh, have this diligent, earnest spiritual life. That's what the grace of God does. Remember, the author of Hebrews doesn't think falling away is the faith of his readers, you see, he sees evidence of God's saving faith in the life. Therefore, he believes that they're not going to lose their salvation. However, the implications of that is not a laissez-faire spirituality. It's not just kind of a float along, do whatever you want spiritual life. That, that's not the implications of God's grace. It's not what he got up on the cross to accomplish for you. That, that's not why he extended grace and gave you this gift of salvation, for you just to float along and, and chase your selfish whims. Rather, God's grace is actually uh, to spur us to greater diligence and greater earnestness. God's saving grace is meant to give us greater devotion. Salvation by grace is a motivation to greater faithfulness, not less faithfulness. Look again at verse 11, and I want you to notice another blessing that comes here. A blessing that comes from diligence and earnestness. When embracing and pondering God's grace, it leads you to an earnest spiritual life and it results in, quote, the assurance of hope. Do you see that there? Like, put those pieces together. You see, when when we don't uh, use God's grace as an excuse to be sluggish and selfish and apathetic, but if we use God's grace as this spur to greater diligence and greater earnestness, what it produces, the end of it is that we gain hope. We have this blessed assurance of hope. The, the Lord and the things of the Lord are more satisfying than the trinkets of the world. We, we have something that's greater. We have something that's better. We're able to hold on to something. When, when we seek our joy in Him, then we're happier than when we seek our joy in the Lord. We have this greater hope. We have this in, in the present now. We're happier because of what we believe is coming in the future. We have greater confidence in this truth. This experience gives us greater hope that His grace will carry us on to eternity. Therefore, sluggishness is not, uh, it's not only our natural tendency, but it's also our enemy. So listen, our natural tendency is to be sluggish and apathetic, and apathetic in our faith, right? But we need to view that as our enemy, not, not as something good. We live in a, in a, in a naturalistic age, Right? most in our society and the cultural around us, you know, we have this naturalistic understanding of things that, that really divorces the spiritual out of things. And so a, a true naturalist will understand that there's no such thing as, as good and evil, meaning that humans are, are neither born good nor evil. You know, at best, we're, we kind of have social constructs that, that determine you know, if we're doing something good as society views as good or bad as society views as good. The, the existentialists take it one step further and they say, listen, you know, there, there's no such thing as, as God or as good and evil. And really what you're uh, supposed to do is you're really supposed to look inside. Where, where they go is they say, look, look inside and, and the things that are there, that, that really gives you purpose. The the thing that drives you on the inside, that's going to determine the way you should go. And in fact, the authentic thing, the courageous thing to do is to look inside, find out who you are, and then live accordingly. So that's how they make decisions on who they marry, what job they should take, how how they view causes that they should be part of, is they look within. But Christians understand that when you look within, you see sluggishness. When you look within, you see apathy, right? Our, Our natural tendencies is that. So the Christian would say, listen, our natural tendency is is selfishness and apathy. We need things not inside of us. We need things outside of us. We need some things outside of us to help us. When when I look inside, listen, I'm going to justify all sorts of things. When I look inside, I'm going to say, yeah, okay, once saved, always saved. Awesome. That means I can go do whatever I want, okay? That's what 16-year-old Micah did with that, okay? That's what we do when we look inside. But what we need is something on the outside of us. We need the Spirit, we need the Word, we, we need the preaching of the Word, we need the encouragement of friends, we need the prayers of the saints, we need those things around us, outside of us to help transform us, because when we look within our natural tendencies, uh, our selfishness and apathy, you see our natural tendencies are not things to feed and pursue, but to fight. Feeding the flesh leads to sluggishness and falling away. Fighting the flesh leads to diligence and faithfulness, but also, hear me, to hope and to happiness. So when we look outside and we, become, uh, and we see these truths and we're diligent to them, it leads to hope and to happiness. This is the example of the faithful saints who've gone before us. When you think throughout church history, or you think about like the faithful old saints that are in your life, this is, this is how they lived, right? They had great trust in God, even though they couldn't see everything. Even though they couldn't put all the pieces together, that they understood that, listen, the Trinity doesn't make mathematical sense. I don't know how to put together, you know, human free will and God's sovereignty. I don't know how to figure out the end time stuff. I got some maybe big philosophical ideas that I'm not sure how everything fits together, but in the end, I'm going to trust him. I'm going, to be, I'm, going to, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to patiently endure no matter what trial comes. Those folks who, who faithfully and diligently endure to the end, those are the happy folks. The sluggish ones don't inspire because they didn't do good works and they didn't experience the joy of their salvation. But it was the diligent ones who inherited the blessings. They were the ones we read about because they walked the road that we want to walk. One of the greatest examples for me was a, a, of this is, is a man named John Bunyan. John Bunyan lived during the time of the, the English Civil War. So you had this war break out between the monarchy and the parliamentarians, and, and people like John Bunyan, who were Puritans, and they were, he, was a, he was a Baptist minister. The Baptists and the Congregationalists and the Presbyterians, they all sided with the parliamentarians because they wanted the freedom to practice their religion however they wanted to, uh, to practice it. And during the time of, uh, of Oliver Cromwell, there was great religious freedom in England, and, the, and these men thrived. But then when the monarchy was restored, persecution came back. And so people like John Bunyan, they were, it was against the law for them to preach the gospel. And many of them, they made these different rules where, okay, you can preach, but you, you have to go so many miles away from the congregation that you pastor. They were trying to, to, to bust up the Puritan movement. As a result, the, these men were imprisoned. Now, in John Bunyan's case, it led to just great financial ruin for his family. But for many who were imprisoned, it it led to great depression. Even some of them abandoned their faith. It was just a a harsh thing to walk through. John Bunyan was different. He remained diligent, even in jail. While in jail, he said, okay, I'm going to remain faithful here. I'm going to trust the Lord through this. He, He took that time to write one of the most famous books that was ever written. If you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress, that was written while John Bunyan's in jail. Now listen, if you're a parent of little ones, that's a must read, okay? If you're part of our church, you need to get that and you read that to your kids. It's this great Christian allegory of, uh, of this man named Christian who walks through all these trials and he's trying to get to the celestial city. It's this great story uh, of diligence and perseverance and, and remaining earnest in your faith. And at the end, he arrives at the celestial city. This is the example that our forefathers have set and that we're supposed to imitate. Diligence, not sluggishness. This is our pathway to joy. Well, let me close by giving you maybe two takeaways and a quick story. First, when you are sluggish, earnestly work out your salvation. We're all going to be there. Some of us are gonna spend longer seasons there than others. But when you're sluggish, hear Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 say, "'Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, "'so now, not only as in my presence, But much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I know I tend to functionally believe that I'm never going to face challenges. I know that's the case because when I do face challenges, circumstances that I don't want, somebody who doesn't uh, treat me exactly how I want to be treated, I act surprised by it. (laughs) Is that you? Like, I kind of freak out because, uh, you know, I have this, this attitude that, listen, you know, nothing ever is gonna happen bad to me, you know, if I'm trusting the Lord. Well, 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 that's not the case. You see, what happens in that moment when I get there, I'm being naturally kind of carried along by something. The circumstances are life, are determining my salvation. I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm not being earnest, I'm being sluggish in that moment. I, I can forget that I need to fight for faithfulness and work out sal- my salvation, it, it doesn't, I, I'm just gonna confess to you as your pastor here, I don't wake up in the morning saying, oh, I'm so delighted to get into the Bible this morning before I head out. I wake up in the morning thinking, Lord, give me a desire to get into the Bible this morning. That, that's how my spirituality works. If you're different, I'm jealous, but, but that's the way it works for me, okay? We, we all have these, these realities where we need to realize that listen, if we're just naturally floating along We're going to naturally be floating away from Jesus. We need to fight for faithfulness. Abstract debates are important, but don't let them lead you to sluggishness. Rather, diligently fight for faithfulness. Number two, when you're sluggish, set your thoughts on gospel blessings. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Friends, we can control our thoughts we can determine what we think about. We can run through our day and complain about everything that's not going the way we want it to go. Or we can think about our day and be thankful to God for what he's doing. Listen, this is more than glasses half full spirituality, okay? I'm talking about deep gratitude and thankfulness. Filtering everything through the lens of Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus is with you and Jesus is for you. Say that before you think about the things that are not going your way. Believe that before you process the things that are not going how you want them to go at work. You see, we can control our thoughts. We can set our minds on things that are above. And listen, maybe the even greatest news of that reality, when we're not doing that and when we're struggling to do that, you know know we have a helper who Jesus calls your helper, who's there to help you in those moments. What I'm saying is, is you pray to him and say, help me. I'm going crazy thinking about this situation. Lord, Lord, remind me of the good news of the gospel. Help me to set my mind on the things that are above. When you're sluggish, the way out is to fix your thoughts on gospel blessings. Well, Listen, I, I found that most of us demonstrate great diligence when we can see the payoff like our inner accountants uh, start calculating how much time and energy I'll put in something is, is based upon the payoff that I think I'm going to get. The, 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 is, the, the problem with that is is that's just not discipleship, right? Like if you remember from a few weeks ago when we looked at Matthew 4, when Jesus called those first disciples, what did he say? Follow me. Notice he didn't say where they were going. He said, follow me. And listen, if he's with us, that's enough. He, he wants us to trust him rather than to know all the answers. He calls us to be diligent and keep faithfully following him. He doesn't always tell us where we're going. He doesn't promise that if you keep a, div- a daily devotional time, then you're not going to get cancer. He, he doesn't say that, listen, if you tithe, then your husband won't leave you. Therefore, I have found that I need to trust him even with my diligence. I heard a neat little story um, about faithful, what faithful diligence can produce, which is unexpected blessings. Uh, Kent Hughes tells this story, and it's a true story, and it's reported in the U.S. Naval Institute. It's about a sailor who survived a shipwreck, actually two shipwrecks. Uh, his name was Elgin Staples, and he was a young sailor from Ohio during World War II, and he was on a ship called the USS Astoria, and they got in a battle with the Japanese, and their ship sunk. And before the, right before the ship sunk, he was a, a gunner, and, and his, um, his uh, gun that he was working was hit, and it exploded, and he was just shot off the ship into the ocean. And uh, he was hurt uh, in the blast, and as he hit the water, I mean, he's in shock, but he had enough sense that he was wearing this kind of life uh, belt, is the way they described it. And, and he had enough sense to, to kind of pull the lever on it, and it inflated, and that's what saved his life. He, he sat in the water for four hours until another ship came along and saved him. And, and listen, he didn't have enough strength to keep going. I mean, he, his, his leg was injured. He was, he was bleeding, and he, here he is just sitting in the water waiting. But that, that life belt saved him. And then this ship came along, and they pulled him up out of the water, and he kept on his little life belt. Well, then that ship got in another battle. That ship sunk. Here he is in the water again. Had the sense enough? Pulled the lever again, again it worked. Twice this little life belt saved his life. Now when he was finally picked up, he's recovering in the hospital, he looks at that belt and he sees a a little tag on there. You're not gonna believe this, but there's a little tag on there. And as he looked at it, it, it said the factory where this life belt was made. You're not gonna believe this. It was built in his same hometown in Akron, Ohio. He couldn't believe it. He thought, oh my goodness, this thing saved my life twice. After the war, when I go home, I'm thanking that entire factory for this. And he noticed there was this, this little number on the tag. Well, sure enough, after the war ended and he went home and he went to the factory in order uh, to thank all the workers for saving his life, and uh, he asked the factory manager, listen, what, what does that number mean? And he memorized it, sitting there in that hospital, he memorized that number. And he asked him, what was that? And, and the factory manager said, listen, that, that was, that's a personal code that's assigned to a particular inspector. He's like, are you kidding me? Well, who is this? And he rattles off the number. He wants to go thank the inspector. You're not going to believe this, but the inspector was his mother. (laughs) His mother had taken this job to help in the war effort. and, And her little seemingly unheralded job was to inspect these little life out, make sure they were working right. Right Now, you could rush through them and meet your quota and make sure they're not working right, but she took her job seriously. She was diligent. She was earnest. She made sure everything worked. She made the lever work. She made sure there were no holes in it. She would even pray over these things. She thought of her son. You know, my son's a sailor. You know, this is going to save someone's life someday. She didn't know what, what the payoff was going to be, but she just knew that her role was to be diligent. Kent Hughes says it this way. But how much greater are the stakes in eternal matters? How much greater is the challenge to diligence in eternal matters? Friends, some might not go on to maturity. Some might not be truly converted. As a result, some might not enter into the rest that is promised. But guys, to you getting baptized today, beloved, we feel sure of better things. We're confident in God's grace in your life. Therefore, even though there's going to be seasons where you're tempted, don't be sluggish. Be earnest in your faith. Walk with the Lord. Be diligent, imitating those who've gone before you. No matter what comes your way, fight the fight of faith. And remember that diligence is faithfulness. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, what a great reminder. I know I can just be carried along by the circumstances of life. And there's such great unfaithfulness in that reality. Lord, I pray that all of us would remain faithful, that we would uh, walk according to your word. When there's times when we're tempted by the world, I pray that we would trust you. When there's times maybe in our heads we can't put things together, Lord, I, I pray that we would still trust you. Lord, help us to be faithful, faithful to the end. But Lord, in that, Ultimately, we we thank you for it. Lord, when you promise to carry us to the end, to persevere us, Lord, we understand that our salvation is a gift from you. It's your grace. Lord, we thank you for it. So Lord, we hold these twin ideas, believing that you're gonna persevere us and we're gonna have faith in that to the degree that we're gonna be diligent in that faith. Lord, help us to endure and have an earnestness to our spirituality. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.